Welcome to the experts. the experts. Lucky you. Lucky you. I'm Aggie Hewitt. I'm Irene Marquette. Um, and you are joining us in on the final installation. Is that the right word? Yeah, I would say it's an installation. This is the final episode in our Robert De Niro series. That's right. You've been joining us uh, for a little while while we meander through the epic career of robert de niro the complicated the moody leveled the um, at times impenetrable almost always impenetrable (laughs) career (laughs) of one of hollywood's greatest actors robert de niro yeah that's the guy right and um to okay so we have two topics of conversation for for this evening yeah we're like uh we're reflecting on this series that we have done so far yeah much like robert de niro martin scorsese and joe pesci and al pacino and harvey Keitel, <laughs> all reflect on their lives in um the netflix Irishman. Is, netflix's own <laughs> the characters the characters <laughs> <laughs> the Irishman. The Irishman. The Irishman. Um, uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah. So at the end, we're going to talk about The Irishman. But right now, we're going to just look back at the movies that we've watched, the the conversations we've had. The and articles we've read. The articles we've read and just try to piece together who is Robert De Niro. And why did we choose him? Yeah. <laughs> this seems like a good time for a music cue. <laughs> something we've never done before no <laughs> i don't think i even know how to do that no well i just wanted to like conjure the idea of music in people's minds if i can figure it out i'll put one in but if not then i'll just leave it like this. <laughs> i think that's great okay um okay aggie what drew you to this we've t- like what 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 have you learned <laughs> <laughs> why did we do this i Okay, wow. So why did we do this? I, I was hoping that was going to be the last question. Oh, okay. We because, can save it to the end. Because I was hoping that we could like talk through it and discover it. Well, maybe we posed the question at the beginning that through this entire process tonight, we're going to eventually come around to the end. Why did we do this? Why did we do this? So, well, we always do this, you know, we always want to learn. Yeah. We're always thinking about what's interesting and... You know, we've covered a lot. We've covered celebrities before. Robert De Niro is a famously um, reclusive celebrity who doesn't like the spotlight. He's an artist above all else. Well, something I was thinking about while um, reading the articles that 
we were reading today, the mm-hmm. interviews with him, mm-hmm. there's a recurring uh, story about him like exiting the backstage of a play and everybody's like, where's Robert De Niro? And it's like, I was here the whole time. Yeah. Kelly <laughs> Winters is like, <laughs> he just showed up at the back of my acting class and just stood there and then left and then was like, why don't you come and talk to me? She's like, I didn't see you there. There's a, he'll, he'll be like... Yeah, I'll walk around Central Park. Nobody bothers me. Nobody recognizes me. Like, he's got an ability to just, like, slip into a crowd. He's a chameleon. He's a real chameleon. And I think it's interesting, like, as we've talked about his movies, we, like, we have um, ended up talking about the movies so much. Yeah. And sometimes we, like, we have to really, like, refocus and be like, let's talk about our boy Bobby. It's hard to make it about him because you end up just talking about the movie. But don't you think that that could, is, like, a testament to his talent and, like, his gift? A hundred percent. Because I think that's what he wants. I think he wants you to think about it as a complete piece. I mean, I don't know. So we really gave him what he wanted. Yeah, he, this is exactly what he wants to happen. This is what he wants his legacy to be, this podcast. It was all worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it was worth it for this, to him. I don't, um, but yeah, it was hard to keep coming back because he does just sort of, he blends into the world of whatever the movie is yeah. pretty well. The one thing about him being such a chameleon and I I don't know if I feel that way about him go on I in terms of like him being typecast or playing similar I think no matter who he's playing the vulnerability that I see and the physicality is often unmistakably him I think he can make it work in any context, but I think he's coming. I think it feels like I never forget that I'm watching Robert De Niro in a way that, okay, this is what he doesn't want to hear. Go for it. There might be times that I forget that I'm watching even Al Pacino, who is a much broader actor. Oh yeah. He's ham and cheesing it up. But there are times where I'm like thinking, about this character. I don't really think about Robert De Niro characters as characters. As people independent. I. I do. Hmm. Just there's so much like nuance and. I think there's I agree that there's nuance. I feel like it's I feel like his performances are statements about the human condition. Yes. And less about a characterization. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Including Dirty Grandpa. Especially Dirty Grandpa because everybody <laughs> masturbates. <laughs> or they should. Or and if they don't, then they're gonna. I think that movie's really about destigmatizing masturbation for the elderly. Yeah, I think it's about young old <laughs> fucking. Everybody has a chance to get off with whoever they want. What <laughs> um, in this article uh, that we we there's a really great article available from uh, Vanity Fair yeah. from 1987 yep. and 
at this time in his career, Robert De Niro was like very cagey about the press. And uh, he didn't, he like really wasn't giving interviews, but this article is special because he gave his friends permission to talk about him to the reporter. Yeah. Even though he (laughs) wouldn't do it, but his friends could talk about it. He was like, my friends can do it. And like, you kind of get a sense reading it that like, he's playing a game. He's like kind of fucking with them. And his secretary is like, he's in South America. He's in Tokyo. And she's (laughs) like, there's no way that's true. Like he's probably like right there. Yeah, he's like in the other room. Yeah. Uh, But there's um, Sally Kirkland talks about him when he's young. And she says, uh, Bobby was around 19, skinny, very gentle, dark, watchful eyes. He didn't say much. He had very little money and he rode around town on a rickety bike. So cute. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in love with him. I know you are. It's so sick. No, it's sweet. It's sweet. He's sweet. He's a sweet old man. Oh, he really is. And then you hear stories about him like like playing with his kids and like being a good dad and stuff. And it really... I'm sure he's a great dad. I know. I'm sure he like loves his kids so much. Oh, yeah. And like would die for them. Uh, Did you read in, um, I think it was in this one that he and Martin Scorsese will like improvise together. Like to make each other laugh, like pretending to like interview each other. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, they're a couple of nerds. Yeah, they're just goofing around. Just like a couple of old old friends. Just two old pals who, (laughs) yeah. And also that when they communicate on uh, set, it's through like shrugs, nods, <laughs> and other gestures because they're like, we only talk in private, <laughs> which I'm going, what? I don't understand, but okay. I loved that. I loved it too. I mean, I guess they just don't need to anymore. God, no. can you imagine? Having, That's what love is. And like they've worked, they've been working together for like 50 years. That's going to be us. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to be like grunting at each other. (laughs) We're not far from it. I mean, (laughs) this podcast (laughs) is like mostly a series of grunts. Grunts and squeals. Grunts. We'll be squealing at each other with delight. (laughs) (laughs) The pigs we are. (laughs) Like a couple of pigs in their own shit. (laughs) (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Ha ha. Um... I love the, uh, I didn't realize that he brought Taxi Driver to Martin Scorsese and how just like really truly active he was in like choosing projects and being influential. I think that's why he has had such a cool career because he did such good stuff in the 70s. And it was the kind of thing that when you're young and you're like, I want to be an actor and then every opportunity provided to you is like some shitty monologue about like your parents getting a divorce or something like from like, you know what I mean? And like, yes, everything seems so limited. The material all seems limited. And then they'll start telling you that you need to write for yourself. And you're like, I'm 17. What do I do? Like, how does any of this work? And I'm overwhelmed. But the idea, like, I think that, he was like, I, you know the kinds of parts you want to play and the kinds of things that you want to do. Yeah. Actors aren't just like, I'll do anything, you know? No. And he was really proactive about it and found 
a good collaborator or like it seems like a few good collaborators also Brian De Palma when he was young yeah and, and it seems like yeah. he just uh put so much effort and emphasis into like creating a group of people like a real community of people that he trusted their um their taste and like yeah. their artistic conviction and they say that he's like still friends with all of those people to this day I mean I think that's like so important when you're young and I mean, I feel like so many, it's so crazy how when you make stuff, you end up like making things with the same people for like decades or whatever. Yeah. You know? um, he says in here, you know, they talk about him being like 17, like so skinny on his little rickety, little cute bike. Yeah. You know? And that it, he was 31 when he did the Godfather part two and that he was so glad that he didn't reach any real level of success when he was younger because he got to like have his youth and I've heard a lot of people say that I also remember every <laughs> the posthumously canceled David Foster Wallace um <laughs> talking about I don't know I read some lecture of his when I went through my phase of reading everything that he wrote um consider the influencer I, oh my god <laughs> 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 oh my god um <laughs> um he was like in as part of his lectures he would say i just hope none of you get published before you're 40 because it just fucks you up so bad like it ruined my life by making me because i was a boy genius or whatever which oh my god. i mean right of course we can't take it anymore but i think that there might be something to that as well having too much success too young yeah i, th I think so not being able to develop your voice or who you want to be or to have a life that's to sometimes i think about that being like 34 and you know still kind of struggling with whatever i want to do but realizing that i've had like 15 years that a lot of people don't have to just like experience stuff and see stuff and you know be in the world yeah i think that that's like so crazy valuable i think so too and in some senses it's a like in some senses it's a luxury and in some senses it's like a a fight and a struggle and like it's a yeah you know it's not a financial luxury but no no, no. i a, mean like a like a spiritual it's a spiritual luxury yeah yeah it probably is. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, and I, I think that um, uh, I should clarify. I think that that like f that state of mind is becoming more of a luxury because I think that there is such an emphasis on like uh, being productive or being a product or being useful and busy and like you know what are you making who's watching how many likes are you getting like it's there's so many things that are different culturally now than they were in like the 1970s or 60s when these people were experimenting in this way yeah I do think it's cool that like Brian De Palma, when he in like the seventies, made these crazy movies that Robert De Niro got fifty bucks each for. Yes, that no one has seen and are almost certainly terrible, and are probably like have like very questionable ethics. Um, 
and yeah there's no intimacy coordinator in these films there isn't no <laughs> intimacy coordinator will not exist for 40 years in the world of these films good luck ladies yeah god knows what's on that fucking film <laughs> but um whatever like I mean, so that's not good. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying it's good that people were allowed, these people were allowed to like try stuff and fuck it up and, and make true efforts and make like full movies that are just kind of, okay, we, we did that and move on and have these great careers after and be remembered for the highlights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like us and our improv shows. It's exactly the same. Well, yeah, I mean, improv is great because nobody... Nobody uh, ever sees it again. No, it never... Yeah, and you don't know. Just I'll just tell you, oh, no, that was good. And We were great. We were great. We were, the, honestly, the best. Who's going to say we weren't? <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to say we weren't? <laughs> you, you don't remember. No, gosh. No. Thank God. Thank God. Uh, <sighs> something that he says also... Um, uh, kind of along, I think it's like part of this, the same, uh, thing of like, I think he wants to be an actor, but he doesn't necessarily want to be famous or at least like his younger, I get the sense from reading those earlier interviews with him that he would be just fine to like, never talk to any press people or be recognized or anything. Yeah. That's what, that's the sense that I get too, which I also think is kind of an unfashionable opinion to have right now. Yeah, yeah. Because fame is our currency and it's the most important, it's the most coveted thing in the world right now. Yes. It, and people think any type of fame is a reward for your behavior, even if you're famous for killing someone. It's kind of what King of Comedy is about. Yes. Um, but... I, I, I think that now for celebrities to say that they don't want to be famous or that to even suggest that they aren't, you know, they don't love their fans and thankful for their fans and need their fans or whatever, or to even say that they have fans, which is kind of a crazy thing to even say about yourself, um, is it would be seen as rude or like biting the hand that feeds you. Um, and I, I think when he was coming up and when these articles were being published, it was seen as the coolest point of view you could have because it was so alternative and it meant he was a true artist. I don't think that we value, I don't think the culture values that point of view very much anymore. No, I don't, I don't think so either. I think it's like aberrant behavior to yes. not want to be looked at. It's also kind of hard to believe because it's a very, I mean, being an actor is the most visible or, uh, profession you can have. So it's kind of, yeah. I mean, but is, I mean, isn't that like the great, like, um, like irony of it, the people who like, they, they like want to transform themselves into somebody else. So, so that they can like disappear into somebody else. I think that's the, yeah, that's the idea. That's the, I think that's the joy of it. And when it's really good, that's what you're seeing. I mean, you hope so. He says, um, in 1975, he said, at first, being a star was a big part of it. When I got into it, it became more complicated. To totally submerge into another character and experience life through him without having to risk the real-life consequences, well, it's a cheap way to do things you would never dare to do yourself. So sweet. It's so sweet. But if you think about, I mean, I, I was thinking about that quote and thinking about like 
the types of roles that he takes and how he's like the types of characters he's attracted to the dark places that he's willing to go to it it's interesting to think about wish fulfillment manifested in that way of like I need to like touch that side without real life consequences yeah I I mean I think that's sort of what you're doing when you're creating something that's what it's for right yeah I mean it's um you make things perfect in art that you can't did you see the new Pedro Almodovar movie? No, not yet. With um, uh, on Antonio Banderas? Yeah. Uh, fuck, what's it called? Like, Oh, Pain and Glory. I think it's called Pain and Glory. Did you see it? Yeah. It's all about this. Um, he's a film director at the end of his life, and he's, or like late middle age, I guess, and he's experiencing all this physical pain and going back through his working life and trying to trying to get himself to work again, but he can't like face his pain to do it. And I don't know. I feel like that meant a lot to me because I, it's so hard sometimes when you're trying to write to confront what you've been through, because in order to turn it into something else, you have to first like look at what it actually was. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, and I feel like that's sort of, what he's doing with acting and I guess ideally what everybody is doing with acting, but I feel like I get that from him and his like type of storytelling. Yeah. I, um, I totally see that. I got to see that movie. I liked it. I'm so interested. I am really interested in that type of subject matter. Yeah. It's yeah. I think you'll like it. I think you like it a lot. I'm sure I will. Yeah. And I like when people touch the darkness yeah touching the void touch the void yeah dive into it dive in head first it's safe here <laughs> oh yeah this is a safe place this is a safe place to touch the void yeah for us for us it is mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh do we want to talk about robert de niro and belushi i mean because it's something that i here's why i bring it up okay it's something that comes up a lot in articles about him in like the 80s and 90s especially in the 80s like there's so many articles uh drawing the connection between him and Belushi so they were good friends and uh they say that De Niro was like a bit of a party animal in the early 80s and he was like very discreet and he had like a group of people that he would you know just like hang out and have fun with. Yeah. And uh, like Belushi and Robin Williams, like, you know, they're part of that group. He had been hanging out with Belushi earlier in the day. And then uh, that was the day that he passed away. Yeah. And I guess he was like very emotionally affected by it. And that was a real turning point with him, like giving interviews also. Like he never, it's like a real no-go topic for him. Yeah. And he wouldn't comment. I guess there was a biography of Belushi that he wouldn't talk, he wouldn't comment on. Yeah, that Bob Woodward did. Bob Woodward did it. Of heartburn fame. That's what he was most famous for, being the subject <laughs> of heartburn. <laughs> Ever also, since he brought it up, I still haven't watched it. I, I also think it might be the other one. I don't I think it's Bernstein. Oh, really? Well, Woodward is the one who's on CNN now, right? Mm, I don't know. I haven't watched CNN in many a year. 
since that fateful night the clinton news network (laughs) (laughs) that's why i'm a never hillary (laughs) (laughs) she's not she's not i'm not she's wearing all white i saw it yeah we've talked about that i'm well documented um yeah i just uh the topic of him going through something like that and it like really fundamentally changing him and they talk about him taking on movie roles and the way these articles are constructed it makes it seem like he's really like self-flagellating and like trying to um get into like a holy space like a couple of years after the death of Belushi, he went and did this movie called The Mission. And this article that we read, like, connected them together. It's like he grew his hair out long and everyone on set had dysentery except for Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, because he took such good care of his body. Which is, like, to me, not an indication that you're in a depression or something. That your body is such a temple that you don't even get the disease that everybody has. Well, my thought was like, what if he um, had dysentery, but he just like didn't complain about it? Oh, yeah. Or what if he's <laughs> the one who get, he was patient zero oh and he God. gave it to everybody. And then the reason everyone thought he didn't get it was because it had already passed. Um, I do have to say that the images from the movie The Mission are pretty tasty to me that is a tasty little treat of an image <laughs> also i have never seen this before he uh it's he's got longish hair he's got a beard he's dressed in medieval attire and he's uh pointing a sword just off camera yeah jeremy irons is playing a flute <laughs> <laughs> this looks like it's it- problematic is this like a fantasy movie? Um, it, well, so I am guessing it's about like conquistadors oh. and like Ooh. the new world um, and uh, religious colonialism. That is problematic. Oh, there he is crying. <laughs> <laughs> we love to see him cry. I love to see him cry. Well, fake cry. Yeah. The beautiful reality of repentance. Okay, well, he looks very Christ-like. And that yeah. is us looking at pictures of Robert De Niro in the mission. Yeah. Music break. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to do all this. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, what okay. do you think about him actually gaining 66 pounds for Raging Bull instead of just wearing a fat suit. I love it. I love it too. I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like they all kind of followed suit with that stuff. Um, Joaquin Phoenix claims that he was given the option to either lose 60 pounds or gain 60 pounds for the Joker. And he said that he wanted to gain it because it would be more fun. But then um, they were like, no, you have to lose it. Which doesn't make sense. They body shamed him? I guess so. Wow. No one is safe. No one is safe. From the tyrannical view of the public. <laughs> yep. I. I feel like people do lose weight for roles, but it's not as common, I guess, to gain 60 pounds. No. Well, the camera adds 20, so. So you only have to gain 40. Yeah. There you go. I could do that easy oh i could gain 60 pounds right now i mean i could leave here 60 pounds heavier if i really wanted to finish that cake oh i could finish the cake i'm saying i think i might 
Um, gaining weight is the easiest thing in the world, but it is kind of inspiring to me when people are like, yeah, of course I had to gain all this weight. And then with the help of my, you know, doctor, now I'm back to looking like a beautiful movie star again. I think that could do that. A luxury. Well, cause they have nutritionists and trainers and all that. Yeah. And will they've got the will. They already had the will. Yeah, and also they had God's blessing. They're already blessed by God. And so. they have a private place. And they have an excuse. They don't have any shame for gaining weight because it wasn't an accident. They did it on purpose. Yeah, they have got. They do have a foolproof excuse. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm working on a film. Oh, and isn't he the one who, when he gained weight, he like went to Italy and just like rode around on a, and ate pizza and ice cream? Yes, he did. Like gelato and... He went to Italy for that? Yeah. He's like, I need to do, I'm sorry, I'm training right now for a movie. Can I have thirds? <laughs> I would go to France and then I'd go to Italy. Yeah. I would go to France. I gained so much weight when I went to France. Really? I usually lose weight on vacation because you walk. Because you walk so much. Nope, not this time. The food is so rich. Yeah. So good. It was worth it. It is worth it. As a vegetarian, I will say that France is not a real culinary cavalcade. If you're on a super budget. No. Because I was eating like butter sandwiches. And they, they were, were probably good. Really good. They were yeah. really good. No, so Farmer's market. Cheese. Oh my God. I had cheese for dessert every day at night. <laughs> <laughs> I would just have a cheese plate and a Cur Royale. Oh, I it love a Cur Royale. Me too. Um, did you ever hear that thing about like uh, when like France and England are were like sparring with each other. I think it was like in the last twenty years, like some some someone in England was like, "How can the French get along? They have two hundred and fifty varieties of cheese in every supermarket." And the president of France was like, "How can you get along without it?" <laughs> and they're like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> that's the kind of world news i pay attention that's to. that's good news that's important breaking international I news so. <laughs> i like i love the french and the english hating each other <laughs> me too it's, <laughs> it's so old it goes back, it goes back so, so far because it's like i think they're like basically the same yeah, yes they just <laughs> they just like speak different languages and the royal family spoke french for they still speak french i think yeah, they have to. Yeah. But I mean, that was like their the official language of like the royal family. Like and diplomacy. Of, and diplomacy. Yeah. That little that little patch of water yeah. caused a lot of trouble. Caused a lot of problems. <laughs> but I don't think they're going to go to war with each other anytime soon. I mean, come on. I mean, they, you can't. They can't. <laughs> they <laughs> simply cannot. It's not 1066 anymore, it you not. guys. It, it, they, and they don't have anything to fight about. They don't have anything going on over there. No. No. <laughs> um, okay. So back to Robert De Niro. Yes. Uh, speaking of travel, I did love um, him going on a quest for his heritage as a young man and spending a lot of time in Italy and France, even before the food thing, to just like get to know his ancestors and like get to know himself. And then he met up with his father, his artist father in France. God, I wish I had done something like that don't we all don't we all i had a little walkabout but it wasn't for my own roots 
I mean, I guess I had a sort of a walkabout. I went to like Newcastle and saw my dad and that whole side of the family. So yeah. I guess I did it. But I mean, it wasn't like. It's I not mean, like the 1960s. And it wasn't. Being a single young man in the 1960s freewheeling in Europe. I mean, come on. Come on. And being Robert De Niro. <laughs> come on. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what did he get up to? <laughs> I can only imagine. And I am imagining it right now. <laughs> that, maybe that is why he has to make all those movies. <laughs> oh my god um so, so um, did you have a question no you please. okay do you think that robert de niro has a lasting impression on like american culture and like american masculine culture okay yeah so we were thinking about this and I was originally thinking like, what do men think about Robert De Niro? But we're not men. We're not men. We can't know. And you know what? We've spent enough time in our lives trying to get into the heads of men. And it's always disappointing. And it always turns out there's nothing there. (laughs) (laughs) It's always less than you think. So who gives a shit? But it had an impression. (laughs) It had an, it had, he has an impression on me as an artist. Yeah. And looks um, like a man got into your head. That's did he ever. And a lot of them have actually most of them. Um, But uh, yeah. So there's something about him that is he's when he's young, he's like super attractive. And then as he gets older, he remains attractive, but he starts to sort of take on this very paternal um, uh, essence, I guess, to me. And I think to a lot of people. And now he's like a, everybody's nice old or dirty old grandpa. <laughs> but I think that he's a very like he's. He takes on like he's very relatable. Yeah. Even though he holds back. And he doesn't put himself out there personally. He's so open as an artist. I think that people just feel, I feel connected to him. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think so too. And I think that like uh, the types of characters that he chooses to play and the types of worlds that he inhabits, like he, he feels working class and he feels like, blue collar and like like it's weird for me to think about him living in a huge loft or whatever like all of his, his tribeca loft yeah like i can't i know that he must have all this stuff but i just i can't really picture it <laughs> or like him on harvey Keitel's yacht i cannot imagine him on a yacht i bet he's got some colorful shorts there's probably a lot about him that I wouldn't want to know. I actually like that he doesn't give a lot of interviews because I'm sure he's kind of insufferable. I mean, the most annoying he's ever been was when he went on that rampage of saying like, fuck Donald Trump on TV because he said it once and it got a laugh and then he kept saying it over and over again. (laughs) Like, just like a dirty grandpa. (laughs) Just like a dirty grandpa. It's like, okay, we worked once with the kids. I'm going to do this 20 more times. And he kept on doing it. I mean, oh boy, it was, it's weird. Yeah. But I do think that you're right about the relatability of him. And he's like, he feels like somebody that you would know. And even yeah. when the circumstances are uh, so heightened, like he brings, 
he, he's able to like ground the characters and bring them down to earth and you find nuggets of things that you really connect to even even as somebody who does not generally connect with the majority of characters or roles that he takes like if I met if I was like if I was out and I met Travis Bickle, like I wouldn't want to talk to him. No, I wouldn't want to talk to like most of they these were all guys. horrible people. I wouldn't engage in a conversation with a man at a bar who's reading a book on metals. No, I wouldn't be like, tell me what that book's about after he's like t- three times told me to fuck off. No, sir. I must fuck you. What is your book about? Tell Metal. me at this contemporary casual diner. I wouldn't do it. No. But but I'll watch it and I'll I can understand why she would and then I like cry because I like I'm just like oh my god I'm this like, man I want him to be happy and he's so deep and there's so much more to him yes Ugh, that's the prison that we're in as women yeah that we see more in men than is really there but it is sometimes but it is really there and like maybe him maybe a character like that uh, or an maybe an actor like that is giving men the freedom to identify in like an emotional and poetic way. I, yeah. Like there's a surface way to look at those characters. Like you can look at the stills of him in casino, like where the camera is low and he looks so big and like the lights are behind him. And it's like, Oh my God, what a boss, like what a handsome guy. But it's like, this is a man. (laughs) This is like a man who is like rejected this this is like all he can do is like he's like a cuck yeah that character is like a cuckold 100 percent. he's like emotionally uh, abused by his wife like it, he has been sent out to the desert to try to like wrangle this wild way like it's not gla- that glamorous no but he brings such a humanity to it yeah i think that also like helps the uh, sort of the opposite way because uh there when i was in college there was definitely a school of boys <laughs> my college was at the school <laughs> there were all these boys who had i i mean this is so cliche but it really is true that every single like film boy i knew had a boondock saints poster in their oh room my God. in their dorm and like didn't understand and thought i was stupid for not like <laughs> being like that's a great movie or whatever and um <laughs> they all love this shit too. Of course, they love Casino and Goodfellas and whatever. And having people like Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese making these kind of tougher movies about these super masculine themes, mm-hmm. but actually being these very insightful, sensitive artists who can make art about masculinity is a real gift. Yeah. Um, and we are lucky that people like them chose to make movies like this because it means that it means that there's a way out for a lot of young, maybe like male artists who would come to this stuff for a different reason might, you know, find nuance in some of these stories that they didn't know was there. Yeah. Um, I also think just in general, when they, when they make movies like that, the like tougher movies, the, uh, the sensitivity 
from both of them, but you know, whatever Robert De Niro's sensitivity is like definitely what makes that stuff good. Cause otherwise it would just be, you know, bullshit. Yeah. I, I totally, I totally agree. Oh my God. Boondock saints. I don't even, re- I mean, I know I saw it in college with someone made me and I don't remember it. No, I'm, you did you ever see the documentary about the guy who created Boondock Saints? No. That he so he made that and it was a big hit and then he was like I'm a Hollywood star now and he his hubris like just totally destroyed him. He just like fell under the weight of his own just idiocy. Oh my god, I love it when that happens to people who really deserve it. You know who else <laughs> that happened to is um Tucker Max. Yo, my gosh. Remember good the, riddance. And he was like, I have to make the film of this myself. I'm an auteur. And like, he, they made a movie of his book. Yes. And I didn't see it, but apparently it was like unwatchable. I don't think it even was distributed. No, I don't think it was. But I remember Gawker got like scenes <gasps> from it. Yes. And yes. I relished reading them. Oh, God. Yes, 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 yes. I hope they serve beer in hell. God, I miss Gawker so much. <sighs> Yeah. We need them now more than ever. Now more than, you know what? I could use little snarky snarks. And just like people like digging up shit and posting crap, but with insight. Ugh. Yeah. Like good insight. There were, I spent a lot of time on that website. I spent all of college. <laughs> like I didn't go to college. I just was on God. That was all I did the whole time for four years. That was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure like if I did uh, if there was some like trivia game of like internet people from New New York a city I've never lived in from (laughs) like a very specific period of time I think I would do really well no I think I might too I like still (laughs) (laughs) occasionally I will still like just like muscle memory maybe not anymore but for years after I would like muscle memory just like start typing it in because it was just like part of my rotation like I just typed it in so many times like I would just it's very weird I don't know about you but the number of websites that are in my rotation of like things that I check is so small now it's one Twitter. Twitter yeah and I deleted Twitter for a long time and then I got one again but I didn't like make a public account I just like got a little one yeah so you can (laughs) just to see what's going on and um and you can be unfiltered and I can look I let it fly you really do and you can't know my name and you can't follow it it's a dirty little (laughs) secret and it's worth it and I do whatever I want um but um But like, yeah, I'll just go and just read. I mean, I'm just, I'm on there so much. Me too. And I don't like it. No. Um, Speaking of Twitter, did you hear, um, did you read the quote from De Niro from Parade Magazine 2011? They ask him, uh, or they say, don't expect him to join Twitter anytime soon. I did see that, yes. And then he says, and I quote, I don't Twitter or any of that stuff, which is fine. I don't have a fan club that I talk to or whatever. My young relatives are into everything, so they show me. I use the computer, but Twitter's not something that I'm into. I think it's great. And it's not that I understand it, but in a way, I don't get it. And that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think I use the computer as my favorite line in that. (laughs) Just so you know, I do use the computer. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) But Twitter, I'm not into it. (laughs) 
I use the computer, but not to, just like to have to, to be old enough that you have to clarify that you do use the computer is so cute. It is so cute. Because <laughs> not everybody does. No, my grandmother does not have a computer. No. She's never. They can't figure it out. She uh, couldn't like she didn't. She couldn't figure out how to turn on her cell phone. My grandmother used to have so much problems with her Roku. It was impossible. You just had to leave it off unless you visited her. And then you could like turn it on and be like, Grandma, do you want to watch a movie? And we'd like pick an old movie for her or whatever. But she couldn't do it on her own. Wow. That's going to be us. Yeah, with some other fucked up shit. That is yet to be invented. Speaking of the elderly, is it time? I think it's time. We are very lucky because we live in the City of Angels. Yeah. And there are independent movie theaters here. And that means... Not a lot. Not a lot. Not as many as you would think. Not as many as you would think. But because of the rules of award season, Netflix movies have to be released in a theater. Yeah. And we live in a market where we get to see their movies released. Yeah. Including The, the Irishman. Irishman. <laughs> uh, Martin Scorsese's latest crime saga. It is. It took, it was my entire day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I spent all Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. So you saw it on Saturday and I just saw it today. Yeah. You're coming in hot. I'm coming in hot. When I got home, Brian was like, are you okay? You look really tired. <laughs> You're like, I've been Irishman. I was like, I was at the Irishman. <laughs> it's like, I was at the movies for four hours. I don't know. I'm so pissed that it was long. I don't know why. It's because it's not, I mean, that's a very long. It's a big commitment. It's a big, big commitment. That I'm going to go to a movie. I had to pay to park. I couldn't find street parking that was like longer than two hours. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a big deal. It's a whole big deal. It's a whole And it's like Hollywood Boulevard. The worst place in the world. Or drive to like Santa Monica. Oh my God. No. my other option. That's, I mean, those are the options. Yeah. Um, Okay, so note one, it's long. (laughs) One, it's long, but here's a question. Was it worth it? Yeah, it It was. It was worth it. Um, I thought it was. Oh, yeah. So, by the way, going forward, obviously, we're just going to talk about this movie. So you may not have seen it yet. Uh, so if you don't want to hear anything about it, just turn this off now because it's going to just like be uh, the Irishman. And before you go, we just also want to say that uh, we're taking a few weeks of a hiatus and then we'll be back with a whole brand new series. Yeah. And the topic will be power, power couples. couples. So get ready to have get some ready, fun. That's going to be really fun. That's our little holiday treat. For that's you. our holiday delight um okay so, back in okay it. back in wait it. wait music break music <laughs> <laughs> okay okay um so yes okay so it was so fun to see um a martin scorsese crime movie with robert de niro in it in a movie theater for the first time that i had never seen that no one in the audience had seen before yeah that was the fun of it that was the initial like thrill of it that's that's great i that i didn't actually think about that when i went foolishly well i i didn't soak that moment in i was surprised because the audience that i was seeing it with was incredibly engaged like um what was their age range 
I, I would say they're mostly in my, like their thirties, like me, a couple of them, a few people seemed like they were a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Some people probably in their early thirties or, you know, twenties, but not, um, yeah. Any celeb sightings? No, but I kind of got in and got out. I didn't really loiter. Yeah. Cause I was alone, but I did on my walk back to the car, have some guy who saw I was holding, they gave out these, um, lobby cards so it was very clear if you had been in the movie. Yeah, you were marked. I was marked. So I did have a fun conversation with another guy that had seen the movie by himself on the on the walk back to our cars. We just kind of were going in the same direction for like longer than we thought. And he was like, how did you like the movie? And that's kind of a fun thing about seeing a movie by yourself because you just have this like conversation with a stranger yes. about what, what you saw, what you saw. And I was like. I was like, I loved it. And he was like, <laughs> like <laughs> what did you think? And he was like, um, I think he was a little bit taken aback by some of the, um, you know, technology. Oh. Which I was too. Yeah. You, you, I feel like a choice must be made. A choice was made. And as a viewer you can't linger on it because it's like not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Well, and it's so weird. I felt like that's why it needed to be three and a half hours long because by the time I was like an hour and a half into the movie and I had two hours to go or whatever it was, I was like, um, used to it. Yeah. (laughs) If the movie was a normal length movie, I never would have gotten used to it. There were moments where you're also can we're talking about the CGI face de-aging on the gentleman in the movie because most of the movie takes place decades in the past. Yeah. And they are like 80-year-old men at this point in time, basically. Yeah. Um, and we have to see them as like teenagers. We see them as very young. It's very bizarre. All the way through to... Their feeble, crotchety, old selves. Selves, yeah. I was like a little bit... I do wish that they had gotten, couldn't they just get like a young, hot guy with like a swimmer's body to, to be a stand-in <laughs> for Robert De Niro and have like, did, like animate young Robert De Niro's face onto him or something? Like whatever they did to like Carrie Fisher in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that too. And then I had this thought of like, oh, maybe you're supposed to think about their age the whole way through. Like you don't get a pass on imagining them as like like we've already seen them as like young hottie boys and now they're old and like they're acting like they're young but we always are aware that they're old i i was having that thought of like their their age is always it's like ever present yeah you're always like it it, because this movie is really about death and a lot of the characters when you first meet them it just will say on the screen exactly how they die. Yeah, I thought you would like that. I loved it. <laughs> that was one of the parts I like because I, I, uh, I, one of the things that Martin Scorsese said about Goodfellas was that it looked like um, he said a lot of it looked like photos from a family album, the weddings and christenings and whatever that he he filmed for that movie. But he said he got an eerie feeling or he wanted, he thought there was an eerie feeling to it because you knew that all of these people ended up killing each other 
yeah. that were in these, these people that were best friends their entire lives. And so to really hammer that home, he just put it on the screen for every, like every new character. And I thought it was great. Yeah. It's like shot six times in his kitchen. Yeah. They were shot in the head eight times. They were shot, you know, whatever. They were strangled to death. They died in jail. Like all of these horrible deaths. Died of old, one was like, had a, died of old age. Like yeah, you, everybody liked him. Like universally well liked and died of natural causes. <laughs> 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 so I guess, you know, there's still hope for some of them for some of them yeah but yeah maybe not all of them no not the main guy at least no uh but yeah i was thinking like there's a scene where he um he like fights a guy and he's like kicking oh it's the yeah. it's the uh the shop owner yeah yeah and he's like banging his, he's like stepping on his hand. And everyone's like, no, no. And he's like, I'm going to do it. He's like, I'm moving so slow. And it's like, you're, this isn't, you don't look intimidating at all. Like yeah. you look like a crazy old man who's going to like hit him with a fucking cane or something. <laughs> you're like, stop dirty grandpa. I know. But when he did that in my screening, everybody in the audience was like clapping. What? When he was like, who did, who hit you or whatever? Cause the, the shop owner shoved Robert De Niro's character's daughter. And so the, he gets home and his wife who is not digitally de-aged and is just a young woman is like the grocer shoved our daughter. So he grabs the daughter, takes her to the grocer, has her point the guy out and then beats the shit out of him in like a very like Martin Scorsese kind of move. Um, And as soon as he's like, wait a minute, what happened? And everybody knew, oh no, Robert De Niro is going to beat this guy up. They started, they were like, oh no, like here it comes. In Robert. the audience? Yes, like people started cheering, like what? getting ready. And then like when he beat him up, they were like, yeah, like they were like into it. Like it was like an action movie. Like they loved it. Whoa. It was weird. That's really weird. I thought it was weird, but you know, I did kind of like it because I love a communal, you know, viewing experience. I also love a communal viewing experience. And I mean, I get it, you know. As long as everybody reacts the way that I would personally react. I demand. Well, <laughs> the way I personally would react is to like sit and quietly just absorb what I'm watching. <laughs> so it wasn't. Hmm. But I was like, okay, you know, get, go off, everybody. Yeah. Fine. Go off, kings. It was all kings. Oh, the best place to go to the bathroom. Which, the beat up scene? No, the just like Egyptian theater in general. Oh, yeah. I didn't go to the bathroom once. Wow. And I had to pee when I went in a little bit. And I got a Coke, a Diet Coke, of course. Oh, oh my God. You were dehydrated. (laughs) I was like, fuck, should I pee? And then I was like, I have this Diet Coke. I don't want to. And then I was just like, so I kept on being like, I don't really want to get up. I was wearing these shoes that were kind of like loud and cloppy. And I was like, I don't really want to walk. And then it wasn't that bad. And then when the movie got out, there were so many people. I was like, oh, I'm so close to home. That's impressive. I was really, I was like amazed because I thought for sure that I was going to have to, I was like, I'm not making it through this movie. That's why they call you Aggie Camel Hewitt. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Aggie Nope. That's my mob name. What's my mob name? Irene B. Because <laughs> you did. <laughs> that makes sense. I don't know. I stayed in my seat during the film. Okay, then you're the same. We have the same one. But I did pee twice before it started and once after. Good. I just, you know, I get anxious about that. How early did you get there? 45 minutes. Jesus. No, I'm, yeah, actually, yeah, like an hour. 
Was it crowded? Yeah, it was sold out. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't sold out for me because I saw it at 2.30 on a Thursday. That was smart. Well. I will say that um, even though it was so long, it, it didn't feel long. I didn't think it felt very long either. No, it really moved. Yeah, I kept being like, when am I going to say, all right, they can cut this. But it didn't really happen. No. No, I will say some of the mechanics of the plot kind of went over my head a little bit. Um, what do you mean? Like the, yeah, we talked about th- with the arms trading and stuff like that. Yeah. Some of the, uh, nuts and bolts of that. Like I just, I, even in the moment I was like, I've missed the context of this and I'm just going to let it wash over me. Were you familiar with Jimmy Hoffa and that whole story? Uh, I'm familiar with him only as a like unsolved mysteries. Um, I don't actually I know about him like as a figure who was a like union boss and then who was disappeared and Geraldo like tried to find his remains. That is exactly what I know about him too. Like I knew about <laughs> him as I, that he was a union organizer who went missing and they thought it was like, cause he had mob connections and that he was always a sort of the butt of the joke is like the guy who knows where, like I'll tell you where Jimmy Hoffa is, is always sort of like a punchline for like revealing that someone is like in the mafia or whatever. Right. It's like, that's Um, like a real mad magazine kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like where's Jimmy Hoffa? Yeah. Cause I think it was just such a huge story for people of a certain generation that it just became like cult. It became like immune. Like they became immune to it. Yeah. Um, And then we just sort of all forgot Forgot about about it. it. Yeah. It's crazy. The things that we forget, as a culture yeah and that's kind of part of the movie too like um uh, towards the end of the movie he's getting his blood drawn Mm -hmm. and uh jimmy hoffa comes up and the nurse doesn't know who he is and it's this thing of like oh my god this person was such a huge part of like the country and like a big part of his life and it's this you know he's the subject of the movie and it's like nobody really knows who this is no and i wouldn't recognize a picture of jimmy hoffa no, I feel like my image of Jimmy Hoffa is Jack Nicholson, like in that Oliver Stone movie. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't see that, but me neither. I saw the box. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have no idea, but I am now, and also as a, per- I'm a person who's always, I'm very interested in true crime and stuff like that, which is the worst thing about my personality, one of them. But mafia stuff is not interesting to me at all i think it's so boring uh, but now i'm just very intrigued by the whole jimmy hoffa story because i saw this movie yeah me too um especially because that book's been contested by certain people and it's still not 100 percent. no one is really sure if that's true if this guy's claims were true they say um uh, the house that he claims to have did, done the deed in has evidence of a murder that took place. That there's like blood stains that go out the back of the house. Like he described the way that he described what he did and how they removed the body. Like there's forensic evidence that matches that, but they can't test it for DNA. So it's just, it'll always be an unsolved Because they don't have his body. They, well, it's not even that they, it's like the, the DNA has deteriorated so much over the years and they just like can't pull any samples. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it's like painted over and you know they do it with like lights and stuff yeah the um luminol luminol yeah that's how you can see like semen in a hotel semen blood but you don't know what it is you You don't know know it just splatters just splatters that is gross as hell that's horrible (laughs) oh i think it might be pee and pee anything that comes from inside probably i would vaginal discharge i'm sure discharge and i bet even spit really i don't know what is spits gross yeah but it's just like salt water but it came out of your mouth it came from like inside of your body out i don't know i mean so it's like vag i mean it's all just like water and something <laughs> it's, all just it's like, all mostly water yeah you're right Ew. <laughs> we're gross our bodies are disgusting they are and then they break down and then we're old and lonely i know and then they get even more disgusting they do and then they get the most disgusting and then they get beautiful because they turn into beautiful flowers that's right it's a cycle of life a cycle of life well speaking of the cycle of life what did you think about like how how they kind of left things with the movie i love the end of this movie i loved it i too. thought the last half hour maybe hour was great it was my um, favorite thing i loved how it ended with him sitting alone in that in that nursing home and he didn't even know it was christmas he didn't even know it was christmas and he wasn't going anywhere nobody was coming to see him no it's like i had this thought of like oh they're like there's a fate worse than death just like fading away like nobody cares yeah i mean i think it's i think it's just about looking back on your life and wondering if if what you did was okay when he's talking to the priest and he doesn't feel bad and he can't the priest is like do you feel what about the families he goes well i didn't know the families like he doesn't understand remorse um but then he says like who would make a phone call and then he says the thing about the phone call yeah and the priest is like what and the phone call is this horrible scene one of probably one of the best scenes in the movie when he calls the widow after he's killed jimmy hoffa yeah and i think like part of him not being able to like make a real confession um i mean i guess he does to the reporter that ends up writing the book about this but there is a feeling of like these are tough guys and they don't reveal their truth and they don't believe in it and it goes against everything that they've been taught that they're not supposed to they're just like holding it in yeah that's what men do they hold in their feelings yeah um yeah, I thought about all of these guys who are famous for being tough and violent on screen coming together to look back at their life's work and to wonder if they've done like more harm than good or if they've caused harm unintentionally or if there's anything that they've left unexamined is kind of a beautiful way to close the chapter on these movies these like goodfellas casino and then now this i thought it was like a really nice way to complete that and it um it it brought home the themes that i think have been in all of these movies about american corruption um it just made it all very clear and i felt like martin scorsese had a really clear 
perspective where he didn't want to leave any he's made so many movies that are so morally ambiguous and I we've talked about like how much we love that but this is very clearly this is not morally ambiguous this is like a con it's not like they all get everybody gets punished and it shows that this like crime doesn't pay basically like it it doesn't because everybody's so old in the movie none of it is really glamorous the violence isn't glamorous. They never look sexy. I think, especially during that scene when they're having the, um, or it's like a few scenes where they're having that banquet for him mm-hmm. and everybody's so out of shape and old looking. I felt, I got a feeling like this is what that really looks like. They really would look like this more than what they look like in, you know, no, when, when they're all like young and hot, when you see like the casino version of this scene, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, there were several instances where I felt like they were referencing scenes from other movies, like at the end when they're in prison and they're they have their bread and their grape juice and they're like they're dipping their stale bread in the grape juice because Joe Pesci like can't even chew it up. It's like they're not smuggling food in. They're not like making some feast in the back of the prison and like having so much fun and like being a cute little family. It's like, these are old guys. They can't walk. They're dying. They're like freezing. They're so cold. There's no, they're bored. There's nothing to do. Like nothing is as glamorous as it seems in those other movies. They're playing bocce ball in the cold and they're like, they can't even throw the balls. They can't throw the balls and they're having fun, but uh. something that you mentioned before um, that uh, I kept noticing throughout this movie, like all of the hits are so shocking because they come out of these like really mundane exchanges. And I think it just continues to hammer home the thing of like all these people know each other, like the yeah. people who kill you are going to be people that you see every day that are just like part of your routine. Like Like you could say hello to them and then they'll like put two bolts in your head. And that's why it's so heartbreaking when he kills Jimmy Hoffa because the reason Jimmy Hoffa gets in that car is because it's his his friend. friend. He sees him and he's like, Oh, I know it's okay. And the first thing he says, he turns to him and he goes, let's get out of here. But he's the guy who's going to kill him. It never crosses his mind that that's the guy that's going to kill him. No, I thought Al Pacino was so good in this movie. I thought he was so good in it. I thought he was great. I thought he had a good year. What else? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Wait, Al Pacino was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, he's like in a fat suit. He plays the agent. He's watching the TV shows. He gets Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, And they go to uh, Musso and Frank with him. Yes. Musso and Frank. Yeah. And he's like, this is my guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man i forget i'm like i forget every yeah. movie i see oh i thought you were gonna say like albert you know just like slips into the role like all you oh, see yeah. is the character that's probably more <laughs> like it because i feel like if robert de niro had been in that movie i would be like oh yeah well because you're so horny for him because he makes me so horny even <laughs> this is the first time i have not been attracted to robert de niro including dirty grandpa yeah <laughs> and i was like wait i was looking for it i was like Mm, like how about there I don't know like I was just like real like because the face was so weird I was like just looking I was like trying to just focus like neck down it wasn't well I don't mind it (laughs) 
<laughs> I really don't mind. <laughs> but it was just, yeah, it wasn't happening for me with this one. No, no. Because I feel like it was such a, um, the movie was just so dark. Yeah, and it was so like mournful and like contemplative. Yeah. I love seeing Harvey Keitel. He looks so good always. Oh Harvey God. Keitel looks great. <laughs> He's so good. So what do you think of the um, piano reunion with him and Anna Paquin? I was shocked when I saw Anna Paquin. I wasn't expecting her to be there. My jaw hit the ground. Well, hers stayed firmly shut. And she only and she, uttered one word. I kept on being like, when is she going to say something? <laughs> <laughs> and then finally she said something like what yeah and that was it <laughs> i was surprised by that i was surprised too do you think that because i was having this conversation um with my husband <laughs> and because uh, my reaction was like wow that was so underwritten and like why was that like that and he's like, what if it was his memory? And like, he doesn't remember her saying anything. He's because like, she reflecting. shut him out. Yeah. And See, like, it's just like her disapproving looks and like her icy silence. Because as a child, she has lines. The character is like, where are you going, daddy? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to work, honey, or whatever. Yeah. And that's, I think, the daughter that he beats up the guy over. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we see her as an adult and we see that it's Anna Paquin, we immediately are like, that's important. Oh, she's an important part. Like that was the signal to me. So even though she ended up not having any lines, having this huge movie star play a part like that was mm -hmm. communicated to me as an audience member that like this, it burned her image into my brain, seeing her do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and that she loves Jimmy Hoffa and like, this is the father that she yeah. deserved. Like he's noble and good. And like, he cares about workers and he's like trying to do the right thing. And he's bringing her ice cream and like, he's not going to beat somebody up in front of her. Yeah. And like, that's who he has to kill. Yeah. The daughter's she real loves, father. I mean, quote unquote, I mean that she has this. Yeah. That she had this like connection with him yeah i thought that was great i thought that was great too even though she didn't have lines and the wife Artie buco's wife oh really yeah and the um and the other wife was the um i gotta go get my hat i gotta go get my hat from goodfellas oh right the babysitter right she was joe pesci's wife Right. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go get my hat. Yeah, it's my lucky hat. I never fly without it. <laughs> um, it was good. It was fun. It yeah. was like if you like those movies, you'll get a kick out of this. Yeah, you gotta see. I mean, just like see the whole thing. Yeah, and I I feel really lucky that I got to see it in the theater. I don't know if that I'd have I. I don't know. I don't know if what I would have thought if I had watched this at home. Would you watch it on one and a half speed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm opposed to the idea of one and a half speed. It doesn't exist yet, right? It's just they're toying with it. Yeah, they're just like dangling it out in front of everybody. But I hope they don't come out with it 
they will definitely will. But the reason that it's so seductive is not for this is this is how I'm going to fall into it. I already know because there are going to be these shows like Fleabag or Succession, which I have finally watched and I do like. But people are always like, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. And you're like, I'll fucking watch it. I'm going to watch it. And you keep putting it off. And then you're like, I've got to watch four years of TV and like right now so I can have a conversation. And I'm going to be like, one day I'll just be like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to watch it on one and a half speed just to get through it. (laughs) Just so I can talk about it. And then I'll get used to it. That's what I'm afraid of happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? That like I'm going to do it for kind of noble reasons. Maybe not really. But just because I'm like. But then I'll. But then that'll be how I watch stuff. My fear. Well, only one way to find out. Look into the black mirror. Look into the black mirror. (laughs) Called Netflix. Yeah. Um, do you feel that you are an expert on Robert De Niro? Well, I feel like I am, um, very familiar with Robert De Niro. Yeah. I don't feel like an expert on Robert De Niro. I think he had a quote in the, one of the articles that we read that you highlighted where he said... No one he, will ever be an expert on me. Yeah, especially <laughs> not Aggie and Irene. Fuck them. <laughs> um, he was telling, giving Shelly Winters acting advice and he told her oh, not, yeah. that she was putting too much out there and to hold something back because it was more seductive. Great advice. Great advice. And I think that he really lives that. I think so too. I think you always feel like there's more to know about Robert De Niro than he's letting on. And so I don't, I think that part of the reason that he's so interesting and so famous and, and so fascinating is that nobody really feels like an expert on him. Everybody, you always want to know a little bit more. Yeah, I think so too. I certainly do not feel like an expert on the topic of Robert De Niro. I do think that I could have a conversation with anybody about Robert De Niro. I feel like I could have a conversation with anybody about Robert De Niro. And I feel like I've seen a lot of Robert De Niro movies. I, we both made a little list of movies that we uh, still would like to watch from the canon. Yeah. Would And a lot of these are movies, we both have movies on here, I believe, that we've already seen. Um, my list, I have never seen them. You've never seen Cape, oh, sorry, I gave away one of yours. That's okay. I watched the Roger Robert Mitchum version and um, I think that I have seen parts of Cape Fear, but I have not sat down and watched all of it. I see. Okay. Well, I have one rewatch, I guess, but it it was one that I, okay. Anyway, whatever. Do you want to do your, yeah. Number one is Hi Mom. The one that my grandpa didn't do because he thought it was a porno and then became an extra in. And the one that he got paid $50 by Brian De Palma to be in. That's a Not bit. my grandpa, Robert De Niro. My grandpa, I'm sure, got paid $0. Number two is Raging Bull. This is a rewatch for me, but this one I have only seen one time. A great movie. Three is a movie called Tycoon, which is a movie that was referenced several times in the um, Vanity Fair article in which Robert De Niro plays a an Italian aristocrat and I know nothing else about it. 
The Last Tycoon. Oh my God, he looks beautiful. Oh, my. oh, it's called The Last Tycoon? The Last Tycoon. It's from, wow, 1976. Oh. <gasps> yeah, this just made oh my, my list. Oh my God, look at that. Wowie. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> oh this looks great oh i can't wait oh i'm gonna see wow. that as soon as i can okay that just made my list yeah that just replaced cape fear you have i you, you must see cape fear you'll hate it um but maybe you'll love it maybe i'll love it i love it um wow that looks great okay okay and then i'm gonna there's another one on here Ilya kazan Oh, come on. It's a great movie. I already know it. Okay, there's another one on here that I'm going to take off because I know it's on your list and I'm going to replace mine. Oh, my God. There's a movie called The Bridge of San Luis Rey, which I have never, didn't know existed. It's one of the few female directors that he's worked with. Um, it's just this woman and Patty, Penny Marshall, right? Yes. Um, and I am familiar with this story because it's a short novel by Thornton Wilder about um, a group of people that were traveling over a bridge and the bridge collapsed. <gasps> and um, it's like that Dave Matthews band story. <laughs> yeah. Except for instead of shit, it's like humans. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you don't know who was killed until the end of the book. Um, and it's just like all of their stories and like how they got onto this bridge. Um, and I didn't know that there had been a film adaptation of it until I was reading about all the works of Robert De Niro. And then I found out that he was in this and I thought, I don't want to watch that. So I'm putting that one on my list. I love that. What is it called again? The Bridge of San Luis Rey. What year was that? The movie? Yeah. Let me look it up. 2004. So yeah, that's like way more recent than I would have thought. But I do want to see it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, my list of movies that I still would like to see. Yes. I'm embarrassed to see it, say it. Mean Streets. Don't be embarrassed. It's on Netflix. And I also want to see Who's That Knocking at My Door, which Al Robert De Niro is not in, but... I don't know that movie. Harvey Keitel. Oh. Yeah, I want to watch more Harvey Keitel movies mm -hmm. now. Mm. Um, second movie, uh, New York, New York. Yes. That was the one I replaced with Bridge of San Luis, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I want to see that too. Musical, Martin Scorsese, 1976. Yes. And apparently De Niro learned how to play, um, this trump the saxophone so maybe i think he learned how to wail on the sax. I think he did learn how to wail on the sax. And, uh, yeah. Um, Liza Minnelli was like leaving the studio and she'd be like, I'd leave the studio at midnight and I'd hit a saxophone. <laughs> and she was like, he was a great musician. Yeah. And that was how he got into that character. It is. The music. Just like he learned how to become like a great boxer for Raging Bull. Yeah. He's just so good at being a great cab driver for taxi driver. He learned how to be a, ta a cab driver. Um, the next movie is Midnight Run. Yeah, that's another one I have not seen. Another, It's another big comedy that he did in, in the 80s. And uh, again, embarrassed I haven't seen it. And then I do have Cape Fear on my list. Yeah, Cape Fear is... You know what? I'm ashamed to say this. I've got another movie that I'm going to put on my list. Don't be ashamed. Be proud. I am proud. And it's called The Deer Hunter. Don't be ashamed of that. Because The Deer Hunter is like 
a long movie for men. <laughs> and I have, that's another movie that I've only seen once. Would you say that that's enough? Um, I don't want to get canceled, but yes. Why would anybody cancel you for saying that once is enough when it comes to the deer hunter? I just don't need to see it again. I was fine. I mean, I saw I'm, it. Yeah. I feel like that's reasonable. I just don't want to. I just don't. There's a whole contingent of people out there who are like, you have to see deer hunter five times. Well, a lot of people are like, that is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I think that's like a, that's a huge movie for people. Yeah. And it just never like meant, I, it's a great movie. It just never meant anything to me. Yeah. Well, you didn't serve in the Vietnam War. True. As far as we know. Not in this life. Have you done past life regression? Um, I would like to. Me too. I believe in it. I, because I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I had many vivid dreams about my past lives when I was a child. Really? And I had, I, um, my relative, I've got some relatives who are extremely like conservative and religious. And I went to visit them with my books on reincarnation and my postcards with pictures of drag queens on them. And they were like, this child is the devil. <laughs> they thought you were the devil. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like 12 and I was like, oh, they would into really, I feel like pretty sophisticated stuff. Yeah. But whatever. I was into goth stuff too when I was like 12. And I was really into like <laughs> the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. And like, yeah, and me and, and I was in a Wiccan coven with Ooh. my girlfriends. There's a photo of me on Christmas Eve at like a ho holiday party with my parents when I'm around that age. And I've got like purple Howard Stern glasses on. Oh my God. With my hair like parted straight down the middle. And I am fully reading The Exorcist. <laughs> oh my God. I love that book though. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's not as, it's less scary than the movie. Yeah. Although I didn't read it until I was much older than 12. Well, I failed math the semester that I read it. I was preoccupied with the devil. You were scared. You were too scared to do math. Too scared to do math. I actually remember uh, somebody was like, aren't you scared? And I was like, out of all the people in the world, why would the devil pick me? <laughs> wow, that was really brave. Because after I saw the movie, The Exorcist, when I was around that same age, I had what I can only describe as a psychotic break. And I like truly thought, like, I, me and my friend watched the movie. And... Um, I just became preoccupied with the idea that the devil could possess anyone at any time and you had no control over it. No control. And I was like, you, if the, if you were possessed by the devil, no one could help you because it's like beyond everyone's control. It's like, it's, it's out of their hands. So like, I couldn't go to my mom. I couldn't go to a doctor. I was fucked. And if, if I was at seeing a doctor, the doctor might be possessed by the devil. I was like, anyone might have this. It really oh triggered something fucked up in my brain. And I remember being like sleep deprived and like not just like being up all night thinking about it. And to calm myself down, I turned on the TV in my room and I swear to God, the first thing I heard was I'm the devil and I'm here to take your soul coming from the TV. And then it immediately turned. And I think that this was like a hallucination. Whoa. Because I was so scared of the movie The Exorcist. That's so scary. It's great. I went insane. <sighs> but you're okay now. I'm fine. And I don't believe that that really happened. I think that that was like a, 
I think either I heard some because then it was like a Maury Povich thing about like teenagers. So it's possible that somebody was saying something like that that got <laughs> twisted in my brain. It was one of those um, like uh, coaches uh, boot camp, like teenage boot camp coaches. It was like, was I'm, like I'm a slutty. The devil. Yeah. And he's like, I'm the devil. I mean, yeah, like the boot camp, the guy was saying that he was the devil. <laughs> I don't know. It was about like slutty teenage girls or something. AKA the devil. The devil. <laughs> and they were all the devil. And I don't by know. soul, they mean wallet. <laughs> yeah. And wiener. Well, I mean, I can't think of a better punctuation for Nor our can I. series on the great Robert De Niro. I think this is it for us with Robert right now. Yeah. for now, We might maybe revisit this in the future. I mean, I think that Robert will be a permanent fixture in our lives and we'll be revisiting him for years to come. Yeah. We are going to... We mentioned this earlier in the episode. We're going to go on a little break. We're going to take a break. And we'll be back in a few weeks. And we're going to be talking about power couples. And we have really exciting power couples to discuss with you. Yes. So if you like this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, please write a review. It helps so much. Please rate us five stars. It like it helps people find the podcast and it just like means so much and it just like helps people it just like helps boost our signal so if you can do that it really means a lot um you can follow us on instagram at the expert 69 or on twitter also at the expert 69 and thank you for listening and i wanted to, i'm trying to pull up um we got some really fun reviews on uh itunes and i wanted to read them to the audience yeah. however oh here we go um we a few weeks ago uh we're going to the mailbag this is time for a mailbag mailbag um can we get a music break no <laughs> <laughs> um okay so we just want to give a shout out to jk8908 who uh gave us five stars and said uh they love hearing our takes Aw, thank you. And they say, I trust the experts on this one for sure. Aww. And that's really nice because that's our theme song. Yeah. And then we uh, we got somebody to chime in on a topic that we left open-ended. Yes, yes, Which we is did. really fun. Yeah. And this was the episode where we were talking about, was this our Dirty Grandpa episode? No, this was our Goodfellas episode? I don't know. Something triggered this memory. Well, we were talking about... What was it? We were talking about when you wait. Th isn't this about when we? When yeah, we I'm trying to rem remember what episode. When we were trying to, rem I don't, I don't know. We were. What made us talk about this? Was it our Heat and Casino episode? I don't know. Well, it doesn't. I guess it doesn't ultimately matter. But we were talking about our time when we went to Atlanta. I couldn't remember. And we went to yeah. We were both trying to piece together fragments of memories <laughs> <laughs> about a really wild night in an all nude male strip club, very famous, called Swing and Richards. Yeah. And there was a question on the table about whether I, Irene Marquette, got into a car with a stripper. I thought you did. And I insisted that I didn't. Which I, you know, yeah, my memory is bad. And that that night especially was really bad. Well, we called upon the only other person who can comment on this. Well, there are two other people, Dallas. D yes. The stripper. That's right. But, but I don't, we don't know how to reach him. And we're afraid of him. 
and his little velvet cowboy hat. Yeah. Um, so uh, we got a five-star rating from a user called Swinging Richard's Folly. Okay. <laughs> and um, do you want to read it? Sure. This says, okay, it's called Get Out of My Dreams and dot, dot, dot. I think there's, there's more to that, but I don't know how to read it. Okay, but I can guess what it, I guess it's, <laughs> I can guess what it is. Here to set the record straight, re Irene, the stripper, and the car. While it was hard, it was hard to creep on the situation through the hotlanta shrubbery <laughs> irene did not get into the car with the stripper what happened was a lot of leaning due to both sensual body language and also alcohol leaning and close conversation if irene had gotten into the car with a stripper i would have ceased and assisted him <laughs> <laughs> thank you emily <laughs> i mean that's like a good friend and then i'm just like i think you did it no, I That's think you're bo- it's different flavors of different types of friends. That's right. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll see everybody in a few weeks. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And have a happy Thanksgiving. Oh, happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Just the expert on this one Yeah, you know me, it's a sick no fun Open up your mouth, stick out your tongue Gonna trust the expert Just the expert